welcome to the latest edition of the Registers of Scotland podcast. I'm Heather Lyle and I'll be your host. Today we'll be meeting one of Roz's experts on registration and policy and asking some important questions on how Roz manages its open casework. I'm joined by Chris Kerr, Registration and Policy Director. Thank you so much for joining me today, Chris. It would be great to start by finding out a little bit more about yourself and your role at Roz. Uh, thanks, Heather, and it's quite an introduction. I hope I can I hope I can live up to it. Um, so as you say, my name's Chris Kerr. I'm the Registration and Policy Director at ROS. Um, I've been doing this role for about four years now, um, and my job mostly involves uh, looking after the operational teams that run the various legal registers on behalf of the keeper. Um, I also look after the policy unit, which sets out the, the policy and practice that uh, colleagues use when running those registers on a day-to-day -day basis, and I look after our legal services area. Um, I've been in, in ROAS for a little over 10 years of different roles within that time. I've worked in legal services, I've worked in a registration team myself, um, and I've done a variety of things across government as well. I've worked on uh, various pieces of new legislation. I've worked directly to ministers at, at various points. So quite a lot of experience uh, across the Scottish administration more generally. That's great, Chris. Thank you for that introduction. Let's kick off with the questions. One thing I think will be on customers' minds is why does ROS have such a high number of long-standing open cases? Yes, thanks for the question. Um, so we, we process more than 600,000 applications a year and the vast majority of those we do very quickly within 20 days and, and, and a lot of them even faster than that. Um, but we have acknowledged that this isn't the case for all of our work. Uh, and we do have, as you say, a, a number of long-standing open cases. And as the Keeper and, and myself have said before in various forums, uh, we don't think that's acceptable uh, and we're working very hard to resolve it. So the simple answer to your question is that over the piece, we've had insufficient capacity to meet the demand of the market, um, the property market, and that's particularly true um, with some of our more complex applications. And sometimes uh, people people say to us, what do we mean by more complex applications? Because um, what we call complex applications are not um, obviously complex to the, the, the applicants or the solicitors that submit those applications. Um, and we've got quite a, a detailed, as you might imagine, a detailed in-house breakdown and categorisation of casework that, that speaks to that. But generally, the ones that we find to be more complex and more time consuming are a subset of first registrations. Um, and they tend to be first registrations that are in uh, more rural areas, perhaps where there are challenges with the Ordnance Survey map, and perhaps where we don't have as many surrounding registrations to give us a sense of what the, uh, the, the lay of the land is, so to speak. Um, and also a subset of uh, transfers apart. So transfers apart that are within housing developments, uh, they are fairly repeatable and we get through them reasonably quickly, trying to make them faster, of course, as well. Um, but the more one-off transfers apart where you have uh, uh, splits of garden ground for the building of a single new house and, and things like that um, can be more challenging for us because um, they don't have the volume and they don't have the repeatable nature, the kind of stylistic approach that, that builders' titles tend to have. So that, uh, I suppose, is what is what we mean by our more complex cases, that subset of first registrations and subset of transfers apart. Uh, and it's those ones that, that we find um, currently are, are taking too long and that we're working very, very hard to try and turn around. So I said that uh, what I gave you initially was a, a quite a straightforward answer to your question about insufficient capacity to, to meet demand. The more involved answer 
is that after the introduction of the Land Registration Scotland Act 2012, which came into force in December 2014, there was quite a significant bedding in period. Uh, and that was true both for us and for our customers as we got used, used to the new legislation, some of the changes it made to our, our, our ways of working and some of the increased complexity that it introduced in particular to, to some of those subsets of, of FRs and TPs. I'll mention um, automatic plot registration, which is a, an area that has caused us uh, some challenges uh, where, where a lease is granted and that triggers registration of the underlying plot. So some of the changes like that um, slowed us down a little bit. In conjunction with, with dealing with that change, uh, we also had to complete casework, which was outstanding from the old 1979 Act regime. And uh, we aim to do that by the end of 2015. So sort of 12 months after the new legislation um, came into force. And, and we did achieve that, but, but plainly that required us to have quite a lot of our, our skills and experience and resource tackling that work. Um, and finally, both of those things coincided really with a property market that was rebounding and recovering very strongly from the financial crash in 2008. So that's the more slightly in, involved uh, explanation for, for why we have had insufficient capacity to, to meet demand, particularly for those more complex cases. Um, and so when Jennifer came in as, as keeper and I started in this role uh, around about the same time, uh, we made it an absolute priority to uh, arrest the growth of open casework and to begin to eradicate it and ensure that it that it couldn't return. Um, Ross employs uh, three core mitigations to support customers where they have an application in the backlog of open casework, uh, and we're committed to working collaboratively to find the right resolution to any issue. So I'll, I'll just sketch them out if if I if I can. Uh, so the first is that uh, we will we will do everything we can to avoid rejecting cases after three months um, that we've had for longer than three months, unless it's legally. Um, absolutely unavoidable. Uh, and in the rare cases where um, a case does have to be rejected, we have an effective process to ensure they can be fast tracked back through the submission uh, through the system when they're resubmitted. Um, we have a process to expedite applications for those extremely rare cases when an application being in the backlog may cause a specific problem, uh, such as financial loss or, or hardship. So if people are going to lose money as a result, uh, the, the risk to a future transaction, if a future transaction can't settle, for example, because of the outstanding, the open application, um, or if there's personal loss or, or hardship, if people are trying to put their, their estate in order for one reason or another. And the third thing is that we will offer free copies of, of deeds still to be registered so that solicitors and others can, can do that due diligence on those open applications when they're dealing with um, a transaction that will come on the back of them. Of course, we recognise that these mitigations are not a solution in themselves, um, but they do, we think, offer practical and meaningful support to customers while we manage the levels of open casework. So through process changes, some development of staff and the introduction of new technology, we were we were making good progress with stabilising and starting to clear the long standing uh, open cases um, up to about March 2020. So that was that uh, 2018 commitment from Jennifer when she came when she came in to, to get on top of that problem. And up until, as we say, just, just about the start of lockdown in March 2020, we were making really good progress. And we were on a trajectory that um, suggested we were going to succeed in resolving the problem uh, for, for good. Uh, but plainly, as I'm, as I'm sure um, a lot of customers will have experienced in their own lives and in, in their own uh, professional lives and, and their business life, um, the, the lockdown in March 2020 did have a, a significant uh, impact on that. So at that point, as, as people who are who are uh, frequent customers of, of Ross might might remember, 
We had to pivot to provide new digital submission routes for our customers, as well as setting our colleagues up to work remotely. And we made a, a pretty clear decision at that stage to prioritise getting new transactions onto the register to allow the property market to continue to operate. Uh, and we did that, prioritised that above dealing with some of our older open applications. Uh, and as we know, after a short period of slowdown, the property market has again uh, rebounded very strongly indeed. Uh, and the result of those things is that the progress we had made between 2018 and 2020 has been set back quite significantly, um, which takes us to where we are today. And I, I hope goes some way to explain why we are where we are. Um, but I don't want to use it as an excuse, uh, not in the slightest. Um, we have said that it isn't good enough. We need to drive up our capacity to deliver more and deliver faster. Uh, and we take some initial comfort, at least from the fact that the action we have taken um, most recently has started to have an, an effect, although uh, there is still a lot more to do. So the overall stock position in the land register has been stable for about the last 10 or 12 weeks, um, which is a good sign that uh, position of getting to uh, equalising what's coming in and what's going out. We know from, from the work we did in 2018 to 2020 is a very important point for us to get to. And the challenge is for us, of course, to go beyond that and start to drive the volumes and the age down. But it's an important staging post to get to that, that point of stability, um, especially with the market being as busy as it as it has been. Additionally, in terms of, of some points of comfort that, that I take from it, um, our dispatches uh, across the large larger registers last year rose to 655,000, uh, up from just over 500,000 uh, a year a year before. Um, so plainly, the, the steps that we are putting in place to, to drive up our capacity um, are starting to make a difference. As I say, lot, lots more to do on that, but it is starting to work. Thanks, Chris. That was really interesting and, and hopefully gives our listeners a bit more of an understanding about some of the reasons by, behind why we have you know, long-standing open cases. Um, just to follow on from that, so if it's about capacity, as you say, surely Roger just needs to hire more staff? Yes, that, that's a, a good and a fair question. Um, so the, there are lots of small things which we can do to drive up capacity. Um, an individual contribution to that is, a, is an important aspect, but there's, there's three core areas where we're focusing our attention. Uh, so the first one, uh, as you say, is staffing. Um, you know, we're a fee-funded organisation and since spring 2020, we have recruited a number of new staff. Uh, as well as that, we're looking to develop the skills of our existing colleagues so that they can deal with a wider range of applications, give us more capacity to deal with those more complex applications, as I mentioned. And so we're focusing specifically on, on adding new people, new colleagues, new to the organisation to deal with our more straightforward cases and upskilling our more long-standing colleagues to deal with those uh, more complex cases where in the past we haven't always had enough people with the right levels of uh, skills and experience. Um, so that's a fundamental piece of the strategy, uh, but it does take some time. And also in the short run, it does place some downward pressure on our capacity because of course we need to train those colleagues. Um, we need to uh, take people away from working on cases to, to do that training, uh, to mentor new people and, and to coach them as, as, they, as they start to process uh, live transactions. But in the medium to longer term, we know that, that that will give us a major uptick in our capacity. Um, so that's, that's an, important, uh, an important part of the strategy. Then the second area is about maximising what all of our registration staff can achieve. And I'm sure 
lots of our customers will be wrestling with the same issue about how to achieve a hybrid working solution that works for both the organisation and the employee. Um, and one thing that we are absolutely clear about is that whatever arrangement we reach with individual teams or people, the most fundamental criteria is it delivers maximum benefit for our customers. And in a registration context, that means it allows people to deliver their part of the process with maximum efficiency. So our efficiency focus alongside our, our hybrid approach has, has allowed us to quickly identify colleagues who were unable to be as productive as possible working from home. Um, and they've they've been back working in our offices for uh, quite some time now, as soon as it was kind of appropriate and safe for them to do that. Uh, and that's allowing them to produce, uh, produce more work and, and work more quickly um, in terms of, of clearing customer applications. Um, but that, I suppose, speaks a bit to um, individual and collective effort. And, and that's an important factor, as I say, but also we're looking very hard at our internal processes, our practice and our tooling to make sure that they're allowing people to give their best and that they're not set up in such a way as to hinder the speed of registration. A criticism and a valid criticism of that might be, well, surely you've done all that before. Um, and that's true, we have done, and it's one of the things that made a big difference in the in the period between 2018 and 2020. But what we do know is that since then, and especially with lockdown and some of the changes that we had to make to our internal processes to facilitate digital submissions and to allow people to work remotely, those things were delivered really, really quickly. And we know that some of them have some inefficiencies in them and that now as we have the opportunity to explore a you know, proper hybrid working, um, it's giving us the opportunity to unpick some of those workarounds that we had to put in place, which were driving inefficiencies in the process. And also the other thing that I think about uh, about process review and making sure that your uh, ways of working are as efficient as they can be, um, it's a bit like tending a garden. Continual attention and, and small interventions uh, are much more effective than trying to do it all in one big go. So on that second area about are we working as quickly, as smartly, as efficiently, as effectively as we can be. It's an area of constant focus and iterative improvement. And the third key area will be the use of automation. So over the last number of years, Ross has been investing in a range of uh, changes and improvements to its legacy IT estate um, and, and plenty of information and discussions we've had with customers about them, I think, over the years. Uh, and that work has progressed well, and it's now a point where we can really start to see the benefits of it in our operational teams by automating uh, processes, parts of processes, and then whole processes, and in doing so, freeing up uh, colleagues to deal with cases or parts of cases which can't be automated. And again, typically that, that involves the more complex cases, which brings us back to that core mission, really, um, increasing our capacity overall in this area through the use of automation, but particularly in relation to those more complex applications by, by taking colleagues who had previously been doing more standard casework training, developing, mentoring them um, so that they're able to turn their hand to the more complex applications when the automated systems are, are, are in place to deal, deal with the work that they've been doing prior to that. Thanks, Chris. That's really interesting. Um, but it sounds like there's the potentially a danger of a two-tier system developing in terms of the speed of processing old and new cases. Could you please give us a view on that? Yes, that's a very fair question and it is something that we think about constantly. Uh, there's two main reasons, I think, for focusing uh, quite as much as we are on, on the new applications. So the first one is that we, we know that if we can 
do those those new applications as as quickly as possible and get them to be flowing through a, a much quicker rate, then the efficiencies that that will deliver to us will allow us to keep those cases flowing um, at the same rate with fewer people. And what that allows us to do then is to develop and train those colleagues um, and move them on to some of the older uh, cases. And the second thing that it does, dealing with new cases as quickly as possible, is that it completely ring fences those older open cases. And once they are absolutely ring fenced, um, then there's a finite number of cases for us to go and complete. And having them ring fenced allows us to consider more efficient and effective ways of clearing those cases. So, for example, we can do cases which are in the same geographical location or cases which have uh, some other characterization that allows us to do them in a group more quickly than it would be simply taking, you know, the oldest case, then the second oldest case. Um, and so, so those two reasons really are, are why we focus um, focus on, on the new cases as we have done. Um, in particular, in relation to that, I'd just like to reassure sure customers that in, in doing so, um, that doesn't involve any disadvantage to older applications, particularly in relation to areas such as a uh, competition of title, because we will always deal with uh, applications which affect the same piece of land in date order. That's a statutory rule, uh, and we follow that absolutely. So in relation to, to your question, I don't think it is a, new, a case of, of prioritising new applications before old applications. It's prioritising new applications to deliver additional capacity to clear more, more older applications. So it is a, it's a virtuous circle in that sense. And I would just say to, to people, um, as I've mentioned a couple of times, um, if you have a, an application which is older and it's urgent, then that's what our expedite service is there for. So, so please make use of that. If we accept that a pending registration does not prevent a property being bought or sold, do the changes from the 1979 Act that you mentioned previously and how that moved across to the 2012 Act mean that the liability shifted more to solicitors or lenders in terms of the risk of a potential future rejection? Yeah, well, well I think it is clearly right that a pending registration does not, other than, you know, in the very exceptional case, prevent further transactions going ahead. And I'm sure, sure people listening will have, over, over their years in the profession, will have dealt with transactions where... Uh, there was a pending land registration application. Uh, and I do appreciate that a big part of the reason why that works is the diligence and professionalism of solicitors, paralegals and others who work on conveyancing transactions in Scotland. And I know that open applications, you know, regardless of the age of them, can lead to more work for people dealing with that particular property. Uh, and so, of course, for our part, we're determined to do as much as we can to, to mitigate that additional work that's required to be done Accepting, of course, as I've set out previously, our, our core objective is to remove the need for the mitigation by speeding up the processing times in, in the first place. But uh, as we've set out, that will that will take a little bit of time. So the overall message, I suppose, I would give to customers on that is that is that we will be as pragmatic as we possibly can be in resolving any difficulties with um, applications which which uh, are are in train or are open when you are dealing with with a new transaction which requires to to settle on the back of them. Um, the point about the about the shift from the 1979 Act to the 2012 Act is certainly an interesting one. Um, 
the 1979 Act had something which the Scottish Law Commission called the Keeper's Midas Touch, uh, which meant that the act of registration could cure problems or invalidity with a deed or a transaction or an application. Um, and the Keeper could do that simply by deciding to register it, even though there was an underlying difficulty. Um, but as the Law Commission set out, that had some, some, some major drawbacks. Uh, so what the keeper gave to one party with the benefit of the Midas touch, of course, she removed from someone else who would otherwise have a right to that, that property. And even the party who seemingly benefited from the Midas touch, they only did so really in quite an unsecure way because they were shielded from rectification only insofar as they retained possession of the property. Um, and we all know the famous cases and the famous stories about uh, uh, locks being changed on doors and fences moving in the middle of the night. So I do think that the, the current system has greater protections. Um, of course, applications will have been checked for validity uh, in the solicitor's office before they've been sent to us. And then we'll have gone through our further checks on receipt before they're entered on the application record and as they work their way through the process. So none of that completely rules out the fact that issues can arise. Uh, but it does vastly reduce the scope for them. Those multiple checks conducted by, uh, you know, highly experienced and competent uh, solicitors and paralegals before submission, and then highly experienced and competent registration staff at, at, at application record stage and beyond. And of course, until the the final the stage of final completion, when applicants are are granted their own warranty, they are shielded by the warranty of of the grantor, um, the proprietor, which passes. Uh, in a similar way to deed warrants by virtue of section 733 of, of the 2012 Act, which is uh, a protection that the 1979 Act didn't doesn't have and didn't have an equivalent for. And finally, I, I will just conclude that that part by saying that uh, if any customer has an older case with a concern about a potential rejection um, and feels that we are not being pragmatic in the way I've, I've set out that we will be, then I'd encourage them, please, uh, to get in touch with your customer relationship manager um, and, and, and we will do what we can to, 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 to resolve those challenges for you. OK, great. Thanks, Chris. And, and we'll make the customer relationship manager's contact details available um, in this podcast. A couple of final questions, please. Um, where can customers monitor progress on this and when do you think the problems will be solved? Yeah, thanks. So, so in general, you can see our performance in terms of new cases and how many uh, open cases we are clearing on our, our website, and, and we'll include a link to that with the podcast. Um, for timescales, um, they are dependent on a few variables, and, and those things are a little bit uncertain at the moment, um, though I think you know, we are looking at a challenge which will, will span a number of years. Uh, the most important variables are how busy the property market is uh, and will be, um, the exact timing and the extent of the automation which we can deliver, and some of that is dependent on customer uptake of things like register land and property. And, and we obviously intend to keep those things under, under close review, and if we don't see sufficient improvement or we can't deliver, you know, high enough levels of, of automation or the market remains particularly busy or, or gets busier, we haven't ruled out some further recruitment to, to deal with them. So I, I would refer people to our, our most recent corporate plan, which is a lot more detail on this and uh, sets out our interim targets. Um, at the moment, we consider that by, by the end of 2024, we will be in a position where all new applications will be completed um, within either a fixed period or where it's a, a particularly complex application, uh, a bespoke period agreed with the applicant um, for things like large scale commercial transactions. And we do expect 
sometime before that, there'd be in a position where the current list of open applications is completely ring-fenced and they're therefore not able to grow any further. How quickly we can fully complete all of those cases will depend on the nature of those applications. It will depend on how much engagement we have to do with solicitors to remedy any any difficulties or challenges or, or evidence that we require to, you know, cases which might otherwise have been rejected that we will avoid rejecting. Um, but the, the timescale for completing them will depend on how many of them we encounter and it will depend um, on, the, on the conversation that we have with the individual solicitors. So it's not, I'm afraid, a, a straightforward uh, unit over time calculation, uh, which is the reason we can't, uh, we currently project on a quarter by quarter basis and we will continue that regular quarter by quarter updating on our on our website and through our uh, corporate plan iterations. Thank you Chris, um, that's been a really helpful discussion. Um, we've heard a lot of detail and there's been a lot of positive progress being made. Do you have a final thought that you'd like to leave us with? Yes, thanks for the thanks for that opportunity. Um, I think as you as you say, um, we have had a, a really you know difficult couple of years with with COVID uh, and the effect that that had on our ability to get cases out. Um, we take confidence from the fact that uh, the most recent numbers are looking positive. That we've got back to that point of being stable. We take confidence that the changes that we implemented in in 2018 uh, worked very effectively. And we are doing some of the same things again. Um, I appreciate that that requires people to bear with us, and I'm I'm very very grateful for that. Uh, and in the interim, as I say, if 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 people need cases expedited, um, or, or need us to assist them in any other way with an open application, then then please reach out to us for that. Um, so so I think you know we are confident that the that the mitigations that we are introducing and the changes and improvements that we are introducing will solve the problems. Um, as I say, it, it will take a, a little bit of time. I would encourage people really to um, take up our, our new systems, things like register land and property uh, for two reasons really. So, so the first reason and the most important reason for customers is we think that it will make your job and your life easier. Um, a second reason, which is of more interest to us maybe, um, is that those things will allow us to streamline our processes, do new cases more quickly and release people to complete the old cases. So there's a virtuous circle there that I think is, is better for applicants, easier for you to get your applications to us, easier for us to process them and therefore release people on to, to, to clear down the older cases and to finally eradicate those older cases and ensure that we do that in a way which is sustainable, ensure that we do that in a way that means no matter how the property market is performing, whether it's whether it's booming or whether it's slowing, Ross has has the right amount of capacity, uh, the right number of people with the right skills uh, to meet customer demand going forward. That's what we want to do, solve this problem once and for all and in a sustainable way. Uh, and that's what we intend to do. Thank you so much for joining me today, Chris. That was such an interesting discussion and I hope that this has given our listeners more of an insight into Ros's approach to why some applications take longer to process and how we're managing our long-standing open cases. Um, if you found this useful, please let us know and we'll look to do another follow-up podcast with Chris later in the year. You can find out more about our progress in this area on our website, and that's ros.gov.uk. And we would encourage you all to please subscribe to our podcast at anchor.fm forward slash registers of Scotland. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts.